ahead and grab a seat. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. You, uh, you'll see that we're jumping into a new series today. It's a new series we're going to kind of go through the month of September. And this series is called Dollar Sign Question Mark. Or, uh, or money questions, or question money, sort of depending on how you want to look at it. A couple symbols up there, the series formerly known as Prince. Uh, but that is your, uh, that, that's sort of the roadmap of where we're going to go. We're going to ask a question each week. And, and I know that when I say, hey, we're going to talk about money, that, that, that all of you are like, yay, we're finally talking about money. Oh. You know, you just love talking about money at church. And and I get that. I hear your heart. Um, no, I, I know we don't, and I, I know that there's a tension around this. So, so here's what I want to say. I want to declare this to you today, that we want to go after the, the heart of this issue, and, and we want to do this in such a way that today is a blessing for you, an encouragement for you, no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, no matter where you are on the financial spectrum. Today is a day that we want it to be a blessing for you, for you to receive. So so today, we're, we're not even going to take an offering. This is true. I'm making a true statement. We will not take an offering today at Overlake. And I want to do that just to, like, set everyone at ease for, oh, just a breath, a relax. You, you know, you're, you're like, oh, I, got, I can pry my hand off my wallet. Like, um, I just want you to receive today. And again, we, we believe in giving. We believe that God's people give. But I, I just want you to, today we're not doing that. We're, we're not going to take an offering because, and I know it's historic, right? Like, oh, what? No offering for 2,000 years. They've always like, no, no. And, and, and the idea is we want to unpack the heart behind this question. And the heart, if you, if you look at it, the heart is how much money, how much cha-ching, Will it take for me to be content? And, and we want to get at the heart because even the question has assumptions. You'll notice this. All questions have assumptions. All statements have assumptions underneath. The assumption under this question is that there is a dollar amount that will provide contentment. That, that maybe there's a line, and once I get to that line or cross that line, I will have contentment. And and I'm interested in these things. I, I know that they do surveys kind of all the time. And a couple of recent surveys went after basically this question. They were asking people, how much money would it take for you to be content? If, if you made a certain amount, what would that amount be that, that you would be content or satisfied with your wealth? And a group of people were gathered who made between forty dollars and $50,000 a year. And they were asked this question, how much money would it take for you to be content? And they answered right around $75,000. If I made 75 grand, then I'd be good. I'd be content. Well, then they, they did it again because that's what these survey people do. They like to ask questions. So they gathered another group, a group of people who made about $100,000 a year. And they asked them the same question. What would it take for you to be satisfied? They answered, if I made $150,000 a year, then I'd be satisfied. You're starting to see the trend. In 2009, Money Magazine did a survey, all their readership across the nation. They asked, how much money would you need to have in liquid assets for you to be, you would consider your wealth good, that you would be content with your wealth? And the answer that came back was $5 million in liquid assets. <laughs> to get you, to get this straight, if, if you had a million dollars in liquid assets, you wouldn't be satisfied. If you had two million dollars just in the cookie jar, you wouldn't be satisfied. 
three million, four million. It, it wasn't until five million. They, oh, that would probably be good. That, that would do it. Now, they didn't do this, but I'd be really curious if they surveyed a group of people in a room that, may, that had $5 million lying around and asked them, what would it take for you to feel satisfied? It's a small group of, of people to survey, but how much money would you need in order to feel satisfied? And my guess is that they would say out more, bigger. Out. And it tends then to make me think that the question in its assumption is invalid that there's not going to be a dollar amount that actually equates into contentment. And so we've got to come at this thing a a whole different way. We've got to unpack it in this new kind of a way in order for us to get what we really want, this idea of contentment. So I'm going to go through some secrets. They're not super secret. A lot of this stuff will be maybe review for some of you. Some of you are already in this. You've walked this road. but, But let's get into this. The the reality is that contentment is this other thing. So the fill, first fill-in, the secret sauce of my appetites is the more I feed them, the more they grow. The more I feed them, the more they grow. Your appetites, and it, it, physically we know maybe like the size of a stomach, right? The more you would feed a stomach, the, it gets bigger, it stretches, it, it sort of, it, you know, expands too. And I want you to know your appetites are the same, that the more you feed them, the more you shovel in to satisfying your appetites, you realize that the, the hole just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the converse is true as well. The less you feed your appetites, the more they shrink. You know, I thought the first service was just slow, but now I realize it may, it's maybe. So the, the conversely, right? If, if, if the more you feed them, they grow. The less you feed them, they shrink, they contract, they get smaller. And, and it's good for us to remember this is a truth. It's universal for us. I found a quote from Ben Franklin. He says, who is rich? He that's content. Who is that? Nobody. And then the scripture says this. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter uh, to one of the young men that he's mentoring, uh, mentoring and preparing for uh, a long, fruitful ministry, this man named Timothy. And, and Paul says some things to Timothy. So let's take a look here. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You might want to underline that last line. Because that's where the challenge is. If we have food and clothing, let us be content. Because the truth is, friends, that most of us in this room have food to eat today. And many of us are fully clothed right now. (laughs) Speaking to those of you online, maybe not, but... The, 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 the thought, and by the way, it's not just that we have clothes, that, that we have closets filled with them. And, and that we, in fact, you have to fill in the blank on this one. We, we know people who have done this. We've never done this, but we know people who stand in front of a full closet with just clothes from wall to wall, and they say this, I don't have, I don't have anything to wear. That's right. Now, it is interesting, and you know, there's a slight difference between males and females, how they approach this, but typically, again, it's very stereotypical, but if a woman stands in front of a closet and says, I don't have anything to wear, typically what she means is, I don't have anything new to wear. 
When a guy says it, he means I don't have anything clean to wear. It's a little different. But, but isn't that it, right? We, we do have food and we do have clothes and yet we're not content. And so, so somehow, right, there's, a, there's, there's, there's something that we need to go after. And, and part of it is because we've been programmed and bombarded with messaging for our entire lives. And it says that not only should you desire more, you deserve more. And, and, and you look at, oh, my next door neighbors, they just got new spoons from Crate and Barrel. And, oh, I love those spoons. And I haven't gotten new spoons since when we were married. And that was ages and ages ago. And think of all the good times my family would have with new spoons. And, and it really would make my life, do you see? And it's, it's just so crazy the, the way that, 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 that we're driven. And then, and then Paul continues, and he, he continues to unpack this with Timothy. He says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them, look at this, into ruin and destruction. He's saying it leads you on a trajectory. It'll take you down a road, and that road does not have a good destination. For the love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I'd love for you to circle wandered and pierced. Wandered and pierced. And to be very clear, the Apostle Paul is, he's, he's not saying that money is the problem. What he's saying is the heart enamored with it is the problem. He's saying this, it's, it's not money that's the root of all kinds of evil, it's this love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And, and then he says, and, and it, it will lead you someplace, and it's not good. It will take you on a journey, and where it takes you, it's filled with ruin, it's filled with destruction, it's not a good road to travel. And, and, and it's, so it's interesting to go, oh, okay, I get it, it's this love of money. And then he says, some who are caught up in this love, they've wandered from the faith. And it's interesting that he says that, and, and so we should unpack that. What, what does it mean? What does a love of money have to do with wandering from my faith in, in God who made me, who saves me, who loves me? Like, wh- why is there a dichotomy here in, in terms of the love of money and the love of God? Well, let's go to what Jesus says. Okay, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. You can't have these two masters. Your heart, it doesn't have the capacity to love God and love money. You can't do that. It'll, It'll be an either or. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus says this. You know, he doesn't say, also interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, no one can serve God and Satan. And the reason why he says that is because he knows people. He knows that most of us are not sitting around going, should I serve the devil or should I serve God? Like, uh, it's kind of 50-50. Like, you know, nobody's, I mean, maybe some of you, you know, goth vampire people are, but I, I, most of us not, right? Like we're, we're like, oh, no, no, it's, it, it, we want to serve God and we want to love God and we want to be in relationship with God. But, but I, I, I have these needs and 
I also have these wants and I've got these desires and I want to provide, but I also want to play. And there's all this. And, and so, you, you know, the heart just gets drawn further and further and further down this I love money road. And it leads us away. It, it'll cause us to wander from our faith. And, and really what happens is our hope begins to migrate from a God who provides to the provision itself. Our hope begins to migrate toward riches and away from the God who richly gives. And, and, and so we've got to be aware of, of this tendency. The more I feed my appetites, the more they grow. Number two, the secret truth of materialism is that stuff can't fill a spiritual need. Stuff cannot fill a spiritual need, and yet that is the lie, isn't it, that fuels materialism. That is the message that is given again and again and again, is that there are these spiritual uh, needs and values that we have, these intangible qualities, and all you have to do is purchase this product in order to have it. One of the first times I ever remember this, just being, you know, recognizing this truth in my head, I was in junior high, and in junior high, there was a commercial for Big Red Gum, and the commercial for Big Red Gum was basically the entire thing was people kissing, and, and the, the slogan, I can still sing the little jingle, it's, it's kiss a little longer, say goodbye a little longer, longer with Big Red, and I was in junior high, and I was realizing there's all this kissing going on in the world, and I want to get in on that. And so every time we're at the grocery store, I'm like, Mom, let's get some Big Red. We need some Big Red. I keep sliding on the, you know, the conveyor belt. What's with the Big Red? I'm like, Mom, I can't tell you the answer to that. But listen, I need this gum, right? And, and, and what is it that they were selling? What was, what was really, they, they, they were selling intimacy. They were selling relationship with a stick of gum. Like when you break it apart, it's ridiculous. But that's the, that happens again and again and again, right? It, the weirdest thing to me is that we have favorite commercials. And the favorite commercials we have are the ones that, that are particularly good at this manipulation, right? And so you've got you know, like commercials where they, they redo a coat, or, or excuse me, a soda can, and, and it's to share this soda, and, and, and now what are they selling? They're selling, they're selling community and fellowship with a soda. Or uh, this noxious male body spray <laughs> that, that I happen to smell a lot because I have two boys that are preteen teen and, and, and they swim in the stuff. And so, but what, are they, what is that, that this selling desirability? Or how about this uh, um, advertisement for a near beer, like, like, a, like, a, like a close to real beer uh, with Clydesdales and puppies, right? <laughs> Thank you, by the way. The first service had no idea, like, what? We so, but what do they really sell? They're selling friendship, lifelong friendship, but with, with this beverage. Like, like once you start breaking it apart, obviously it's ridiculous. It's empty. I mean, we are so smart. We are so beyond that. But yet, we hear it again and again and again. 
Friends, why is contentment so hard? Because you might hear one message a year on contentment at church. But you hear 3,000 messages every day. That's how most sociologists believe we hear 3,000 messages every day preaching the opposite, discontentment. Discontentment, by the way, that's the root of greed. That's the root of greed. And so we have to keep coming back to this truth that, that this, the material stuff will not fill a spiritual need. Now, the values are fine. We can keep having those values. We, we should embrace those values. Just understand who meets those values. It's the Lord and our relationship with him. See, look at what this verse says. Psalm 37, 4. Many of you are familiar with this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And what many people do with that verse is they just pick it up and, and they remove it from all biblical context and they put it on a card and they put it on their dashboard or whatever. They memorize that verse. And, and what they think it means is that if I am a, a slightly religious person and do some religious ritual type things, then God will give me whatever I want. That's how it's translated, right? And, and, and so you say, oh, if, if, I, if I, you know, speak good about God or if I go to church a certain number of times, then I will, and fill in the blank, get a new Winnebago, you know, win the Super Bowl, whatever. So the, the idea is, and it's not that God wants to withhold good things from our lives. I just want you to understand what the verse actually says. What the verse actually says is this. Delight yourself in the Lord, meaning your heart's affections go there. That you desire intimacy, that, that that's really where you're going to go. You're not going to bow the knee anywhere else. You're going you're gonna to go to the Lord, and he's going to be your delight. And as you train yourself in delighting in the Lord, he will give you the desire of your heart. Why? Because it's him. You've trained your desire to be in the Lord and, and to be fulfilled, your delight fulfilled in him. And so, yes, he is going to come near. And if, as we draw near, he draws near. Do you see? So that's what the verse means. Yes, we have these spiritual needs, these spiritual values. Those things are good. Just remember, a purchase will not meet them. It's called retail therapy, by the way. Many of us are, are, are part of it. I just want you to understand, it doesn't work. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Number three, the secret power of telling yourself no liberates from self-tyranny. Liberates you. For you to tell yourself no is an empowering moment. Now, I use that phrase self-tyranny on purpose because, friends, we can be ruthless tyrants of ourselves. And, and when you tell yourself no... You're saying that you are stronger than your desire. You're, you're bigger than your inclination. You're more powerful than your temptations. You're, you're, you, you do have thoughts and you do have desires. You do have temptations, but you are not those things. You're actually in control of those things. And so when you tell yourself no, you're actually empowered because you are not just driven by all of the whims of your appetites and desires and temptations. You're not just enslaved by your flesh or, or whatever it is you want you know, immediately and so you go after it. And 
And I just want you to understand, it's an incredibly empowering moment to exhibit that kind of self-control. And the reason why I say it that way is because I want you to understand, I don't believe self-control is possible without the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes and lives within us. It's one of the gifts, that the, that the, or one of the fruit, rather, of the Spirit living in our life is the ability to tell ourselves no. But it does require something. It requires change. Specifically, it requires that we change our attitude. Change our attitude. And the two places we have to change it, uh, one is we have to change it from impatience. I want it and I want it now, okay? That's the deal. By the way, I think so many of us are screwed up. I blame the microwave for screwing us up on impatience. Because in my world, the microwave is too slow. Like that's how, and it's just like, you know, it's a minute, but that is a long minute. So impatience, right? But we have to change from impatience to patience, right? I want it now. And then the next attitude we have to change is actually the attitude of gluttony. And gluttony says, I want it all. I want to consume it all. And if you're in faith, if you're following Jesus, a lot of times we end up attaching, you know, God to this. Not only do I want it all, but God wants me to have it all. So, so there's that gluttony. We change from the attitude of gluttony to what? Contentment. Patience and contentment. And these are, the, these are qualities we must practice. And we must practice them because we're not good at them. And so we practice again and again patience and again and again contentment. And we tell ourselves no, our desires no, our temptations no to purchase or to, to expand or to hoard. We just say, we say no, right? No to that gluttony, no to that impatience. And every time we do, we're exhibiting more self-control, living a more empowered life. And oftentimes what happens is, is if we get into a different context, Suddenly our perspective, our attitude changes almost instantly. So many of you know that in June, I was able to go over to Katali, Kenya, a couple of areas in Kenya, with Pastor Dan uh, Hamer here at the church. We were visiting some of our partners in Kenya. We were visiting some of our sites where Overlake has helped to, to do hand-dug wells, serving like over 200 families per well. We have 76 wells now dug and operational. And, and the, yeah, that's a, great, that's a great thing that God's been doing and visiting some of the agricultural projects where the education's going out, the seed distribution, all of this. If you'll remember, it's so that we could empower these rural villages to really flourish with abundance so that poverty doesn't drive these young kids away from their homes out into the streets where life is just ruthless. And so, so that's a part of it. Then the other thing we did is we visited some street children and, and we had partners over there because we're trying to um, build a ministry to street children in this Katali, Kenya region where we do most of our work. And, and so anyway, as we're over there and, and we're interacting with so many folks, it's just so beautiful. What I see is my own materialism unmasked. What, what I see is, is, is my own tendencies toward impatience and gluttony. And I see it so clearly when I'm in the face and, and when I'm interacting with these beautiful children of God who, who don't have anything, and yet they have joy. 
who don't, have any, who, who don't have much at all in the way of material wealth or provision, and yet they are so rich in how they depend upon God. And I just realize all it takes. So I just want to confess to you, I am greedy to go on mission where God can continue to hone me and change, change me and, and change my perspective and my attitude. I'm greedy for you. I want you to go on mission. I want you to get out of this context because we, we sort of get caught up in this American cultural mindset. We're always wanting more. We always desire more. We're always deserving more. And we don't even realize how that's not the experience of so many sons and daughters of God. So, th- so that's the challenge is that we would practice changing our attitude towards patience and towards contentment. And, and the first step is, is recognizing that it all starts here. It all starts in our mind. So even ask the Lord to help you change your attitude. Look what this says in Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, we, we want to let God transform us by changing the way we think about contentment, by changing the way we think about the material stuff in our lives. So we, we want to change the way that we approach all of this stuff, financial stuff, right? We, we want his perspective. And so we ask God, God, would you change me and change the way I think? Number four, the secret joy of building margin into your, your budget, you feel wealthy. When you have margin in your life, you feel wealthy. Now, notice I say feel wealthy because it it is a feeling, right? It's a feeling of being wealthy. Most of us don't feel wealthy regardless of how much we make a year or whatever. So the key is not how much you make. The key is not your income. The key to feeling wealthy is margin. When you have a gap between what it is that you make and what it is that you owe, and there's extra there, that, it, that provides this feeling of, oh, I, I've got some space in my life. And, and I want you to do this with me. Do this little exercise. Think back over the whole course of your life and think about a season when you felt the most wealthy. It will probably surprise you. It probably will not be when you made the most money in your life. It will probably be, and you'll see that I'm right. You could fight me on this, but when you get to heaven, you'll see I'm right. That, you, that, that wealth has nothing to do with the amount of money you make, that feeling wealthy has everything to do with how much margin you have in your life. So as I did this exercise this week, I realized that the time that I felt the wealthiest in my life, it was after I had got out of college and I was working as a, a youth pastor part-time. Well, I was working full-time, getting paid as a part-time employee. And <laughs> my, uh, my income per month was right around $820 a month. And I, I, I was living at home. I, I you know, hadn't met Jody yet. And, and I had one bill. It was my student loan. I had to pay my student loan. And then I, I tied, then paid my bill. And then I just put the rest of the money in the bank. It was like 500 plus bucks every month I was just putting in the bank. And after two or three months of, of living like that, I was living at home, I, I was like, I am so wealthy. Look how much money. Oh, my gosh. I, and I wasn't going to spend it. I was just going to save it. And it. I just felt so so wealthy. 800 bucks a month. I was feeling so wealthy. So here's really what I'm saying. If you want to feel wealthy, get a job, move back in with your parents. Right? They'll love it. They'll love it. Pastor told me I got to move back. I'm so... All right. 
No, but it, 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 this idea of having some margin. How do you create margin in your life? A couple of ways, right? On the, one way is you simplify, right? You, you, you sort of pare down or, or, or be careful with what's going out. And then the second way is you save. And you might want to write this down and, and just chew on this for a while. Saving is a mark of character. Saving is a mark of character. It requires some things. The scripture says this, Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Right? There'll, there'll be an increase there. I was speaking to our young adults a few weeks ago. I had the great privilege. I love our young adult ministry. By the way, if you didn't know, our young adult ministry meets on, on Sundays at 7 p.m. in the chapel down the hallway, and, and it's just so beautiful. It's such a dynamic group. Several hundred young adults, 18 to 25, come, and just it's so fun to be there. So I had the privilege of speaking with them a couple of weeks ago, and we had this conversation about the difference between your wants and your needs. And we talked about this, and so I just want to spend a minute with you. We have to understand that there's a difference between our wants and our needs. It's really, really important. So just a quick quiz. Having water to drink, is that a want or a need? It's a need. Having some food to eat to nourish and sustain your body, is that a want or a need? Need. Smartphones. Oh, pastor's getting nasty now. He just got really nasty. Yeah, and, and, and uh, it, it, so you see, the and the reason why, and you could go through your whole life, and you would realize that on the pile of stuff that you think are needs is actually just a whole lot of wants. And it's important for you to understand what category things fall in, and here's why. You have to listen to me on this one. It's important for us to understand the difference between wants and needs because the Bible says that God will care for your needs, but it never says that he'll take care of your wants. He, he will care for your needs. We have to understand what are our needs. Scripture says, my God will supply every need of yours. You can circle that. Every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay. Number five, the secret freedom of eliminating debt, it's not secret, it's just freedom. It's just freedom. Thomas Jefferson said this, never spend your money before you have it. Well, thank you, Tom. We have not listened to your advice. <laughs> our whole culture, our, our whole, everything, there's so much debt, and, and we carry it and you know, it's just, it's crazy how much consumer debt, credit card debt, car debt, we just, we carry debt everywhere. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about what kind of freedom is offered when we eliminate that kind of consumer debt in our life. You see, what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. In other words, what the Bible says is debt is a form of slavery, it's a form of slavery. That's why eliminating debt, is a, it, you're experiencing a freedom. You're experiencing a liberation when that happens. Okay? So I want to go through just a few ideas for how it is that we go after living debt-free. The first, commit to becoming debt-free. Commit to becoming debt-free. 
And it starts with a commitment. It starts with a vision for what your financial life could be. Psalm 37.5 says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. So you make this commitment to the Lord. I'm gonna commit myself to becoming debt free. You, you put that commitment before the Lord and then the Lord will be on your side. The Lord will be working with you. He'll, he'll be helping you and motivating you, encouraging you to continue on through with your commitment. Okay, But it all starts with a commitment. Commit to being debt-free. And just by point of clarity, when I talk about being debt-free, I'm talking about consumer debt, credit card debt. I'm talking about uh, car debt, monthly payments that you're making on all kinds of things. I'm actually not talking about house payment. And the, and the reason why, and I know it would be wonderful if we included that, and, and at some point we had no house payment. I think that was a great thing. I know Dave Ramsey talks about that. But for most humans throughout most of history, well, at least in our American context anyway, most of us are going to be paying mortgage or rent for most of our lives. So I think that's something that we have to figure out how to manage that, okay, how to include that in. So when I'm talking about debt-free, I'm just talking about this other stuff. Maybe more information that you needed, but that's what I want to do, over-communicate. Okay. <laughs> Commit to being debt-free. Next thing, get specific by getting a budget. Get specific by getting a budget. This allows you to tell your money where to go so that you don't sit back and wonder where it's gone. You're, again, you're the one who's in charge of your financial state, so you're the one who's making these choices. The budget will help you do this. If you need some resources, there's all kinds of great online stuff. Larry Burkett is one guy. Dave Ramsey is another guy. In fact, if you want to get really specific on this stuff, Overlake's offering a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. It's starting this fall. Information should be in your handout. We, we would love to have all of you. If, if this is a need, if this could bless you, please jump in and, and walk this road. But you've got to get specific. You've got to get a budget. And, and debt elimination has to be a part of that budget. The last uh, fill in here, plan wisely to eliminate debt. Plan wisely. Proverbs 23, 23, get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. You might want to underline those three words, wisdom, discipline, and good judgment, because they'll all be required in our plan to eliminate debt from our lives. You're going to need that wisdom. You're going to need that discipline. Okay. Now, what does plan wisely look like? I just want to give you a couple of ideas. You can jot these down. Uh, the first uh, is that it, it really is helpful if you tackle your smallest debt first and just pay it off. Dave Ramsey calls this the debt snowball. You, you're paying all your debts, but you, you really focus on that, that smallest debt first. And then when that's paid off, you take the money you were paying towards that smallest debt and you add it to some of these other debts that you have and you'll see your debt reduction just build and build. So that's his idea, not my idea. It's a good idea. Um, the second thing that you, you should do, not only smallest debt, but pay attention to your interest rates that you're paying. Because for some of us, we've got these credit cards. We've got, you know, a TJ Maxx card and a Sears card. You've got all these cards. And, and you might be paying, you know, 18%, 24%, even more than that. And, and you're just getting gouged. And so you've you got to pay attention to how much interest rates, uh, what your interest rates are, what you're paying. The analogy I have is if you have leeches all over your body, you're going to want to remove the ones that are taking the most blood first, right? I know that's a lovely, lovely mental image. So, and for some of you, you might want to even take a look at debt consolidation. 
that there are ways, if you're on top of it, there are ways in which you can bundle your debt. You know, a lot of times uh, there'll be like a two-year introductory thing with no interest rate kind of a deal. So if you're on top of all that stuff, maybe that's a way for you to go. The third thing to keep in mind, this is for the, the debt reduction commandos out there. I would challenge you to try to live off of 70% of your income. Live off 70% of your income. 10% goes to the Lord. 10% goes to savings. 10% goes to debt reduction. Again, you've got to be like a commando to go after this. But for those of you who can live like that, you will see that you're experiencing a lot greater margin than you had currently known. Therefore, you will feel more empowered about your financial situation. Again, I want to go back to that question at the very beginning. How much money will it take for me to be content? We've talked about how the answer is not in the dollar sign. That contentment is actually found somewhere else. This is all part of our life. We've got to manage it. We've got to make good choices with our finance. But I want you to understand that true contentment, true contentment comes from the Lord. It comes from our intimacy with him, that that we love God, that we understand what Jesus has offered us on the cross, the kind of grace, the lavish love that he has wrapped our lives in, and we're enjoying that love, and, and, and we're actively in relationship with God. That intimacy is the root of our contentment, friends. And the picture that I'd, that I'd like to share with you is, is a picture I've shared with some of you before. I moved to Washington State about 12 years ago, and, and, and when we moved here, I fulfilled a lifelong dream and purchased a riding lawnmower for my yard. And, and, and it was just so great to, you know, when I needed to do the yard work, I just, I loved it. It was just my, it's totally, you know, just peaceful, meditative, I just loved it. But I wasn't the only one. At the time when we moved here, my son Caleb was two years old, and he was enamored with that riding lawnmower. And so every time I got it out, I would say, hey, buddy, do you want to help Dad mow? And he'd be like, yeah, Dad. He'd run over, he'd toddle over, you know. And, and he'd jump up on my lap, and, and we'd start riding around the yard, and he'd help me steer, and I'd have my arm around him. And it's just beautiful. This is just such one of my favorite, favorite memories. And, and it happened a lot. It wasn't like it happened once or twice. I mean, this it just was routine for us. To, to, he'd help me mow the lawn. And every time he'd get on my lap and we'd start going, he'd just be talking away, just talking, 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 talking. My, he, if you know my son, you know he can do this. And, he just, he just, and, and I would just, you know, I'd be listening to him and laughing with him. And, and pretty soon his, his talking would turn to yawns. And then pretty soon he would just lean his head back on my shoulder and he'd be out. And as a two-year-old, it was just so beautiful, right? Just to hold him in my hands and three-year-old, four-year-old, you know, and the eight-year-old, he's a little big, but, <laughs> and no, he does not have narcolepsy. But, but I, I, I just, it was just something about the scenario of, of riding in the home of the mower and, and being on my lap and having my arm around him and, and he would just knock out and, and I would love those times. I would love those times and, and, and I can't tell you how many extra Laps I took in the yard after the, the thing was mowed because I just didn't want them to end. I knew once I parked the lawnmower and turned it off, he'd wake up and, and then I'd thank him so much for helping me mow the yard. And, and then he'd run off and he'd be, you know, and I love those times because I delight in him and I delight in our nearness. 
And I delighted, catch this, I delighted in his unwavering trust of his dad. That his dad was strong enough and wise enough to hold him and to run the mower at the same time. And friends, I want you to know that that's so like our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That he delights in us and he delights in our dependence upon him. He, he delights in our, just our, our trust. I mean, that's the word, that we trust that he's good and that he loves us and that he's providing for our needs. He delights in the fact that we trust that he's big enough and strong enough and wise enough to hold us and to run the universe at the same time. So friends, this is the heart of contentment. This is where I want us to go. This will help us to stop clutching or grabbing or hoarding and, and to begin to live with open arms, open hands, and an open heart. All right, so why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for how it is that you do love us. Your love so tangibly communicated in what we celebrated today in communion that you did sacrifice your body, you did shed your blood so that our sins would be forgiven, so that we would experience your grace, that we would understand your desire for relationship, that we could experience life eternal with you and we could experience abundant and intimate life now with you. And so, Lord, that's what we want. We want you to take our thoughts. We want you to take our desires. We ask right now that you would take even our attitudes about finance and, and how we view money. And, Jesus, we just offer it to you. We ask that you would change the way we think, that you would increase the level of trust we have in you. And let us enjoy our relationship with you. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen.